The opinions expressed on this show do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of Return the Jewels. Also, there's explicit language. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 5 of Return the Jewels. Today we have a very special episode. Our guest is Chef Francis Maling. He is a, he's Filipino. Uh, he, he immigrated here when he was nine uh, to Queens, grew up in Queens, around all sorts of diversity, around all sorts of food, flavors, everything. We talk about a lot of cool things and we get into um, a lot of subjects that you probably wouldn't hear from you know, professional chefs. And uh, you know, one thing we really talk about is uh, flavor profiles and the narrative structure involved or the underlying narrative structure involved in creating and balancing flavor profiles and how uh, certain people may have a monopoly on the market of curating those flavor profiles. And uh, you know, we really get into it. It's a, it's a really good episode. Uh, you know, I hope you enjoy it. Uh, also, so his name is Francis Smalling. You can find him uh, at Bad Business Pop-Ups, which is his company. And uh, actually, so this episode is coming out uh, Wednesday, the 21st. And on Saturday, the 5th, 25th, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, that's three, plus 21, that's four. So the 24th, I mean, I can just look at my calendar. Hold on. So Saturday, the 24th, uh, check out his uh, Instagram information uh, for bad business, uh, pop, bad for business pop-ups. And um, you, you can find him on Instagram at Instagram friends. Yeah. That's yeah. F-R-A-N-S info right here. And, yeah. um, you know, enjoy the episode. Yeah. So, yeah. We're good. Okay. So we're not. Oh gonna yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait, wait, wait. Do your pre-order. Uh, so for let's Saturday start or show up. You know, uh, hmm. I think it's in the Lower East Side. Hey everyone, we're here with Francis Maling. Did I say that right? Maling. 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 Sorry. Well, yeah, yeah. Maling. Maling. Good. good. I mean, I gotta ask because I know that uh, the people that watch, or well, I guess the people that will be watching this show, how many people watch now, uh, probably get their names butchered a lot. And so, you know, just that simple follow-up, I think, is always, like, sometimes we sure. necessary. <laughs> yeah, I, it was a mailing for, like, the, the first four years, like, coming to New York. And, you know, that was Catholic school kind of a kind of thing. When, I, when I don't know you, why. When did you – so you were not born in New York. Nope. Where, where were you born? Born in the Philippines. Uh I'm a Queens kid, though, you know, I'm raised here in uh, New Yorker at heart, but my heart still kind of calls back home every now and then, because, you know, born and raised in the Philippines, too. When did you, how old were you when you moved? Came here when I was nine, 1998. So you, you and our our mutual friend, Chef Harold, uh, is how I met you, is... um, I think he came to South Bronx when he was nine from the Philippines as well. Oh yeah, yeah. So maybe that's that like magic magic number or something. Yeah, maybe nine. Yeah. Maybe nine is the number just to absorb 
yeah. enough of the yeah. culture and then absorb the culture here yeah. and bring everyone back to the culture you absorbed initially. Yeah, it's it's a weird kind of a transition, man, because like coming here when I was nine, like I, I could barely recall like how life was in the Philippines. Really? But when I when I got here to JFK, I could still remember the song that was playing as we were like checking back on like the BQE Grand Central kind of yeah. kind of travel, and it was um uh, next too close. You know, you know what I'm <laughs> Yo, I, I saw like, them in concert in Mississippi when I was like that age. Yeah, and they did two So I was like, I was nine, you know, bumping to the song. And I'm like, all right, kind of cool kind of song. And I didn't know it was like about sex. Like, dudes like getting, you know, hard Yo. on. And I'm like, wait, really? That's what it was? <laughs> I feel a little poke coming through. <laughs> yeah. So it was a, it was a culture shock. Not you know, subtle it, at all. Culture shock, like you know, I I, I never listened to hip hop uh, when I was like younger. All yeah. that stuff kind of came into play, like you know, being here in New York. So kind of cool, and kind of adapt, you know. So you um, so culture shock, meaning you come here, and I guess you don't. Yeah, so you don't remember much pre nine years old. I would imagine it's more like I would think it's not you don't necessarily remember many like conversations, but you probably remember like colors, environments, you know, different people maybe, um, things yeah, like that. Sure. So like what, like growing up, well, no, okay, nine years old. Nine years old, you're pretty pretty formed as a person. So I, mean, like, I, I, I had some vivid memories. Like yeah. I, I was alive, like when I was nine. <laughs> no, I, I, I did shit. Like, I was, was living, like, dog. Yeah, I was, I was living. Uh, I, I lived I lived in the arcades as a kid, uh, playing video games, ate good food, fast food, like you know, shout out so, to Jollibee. This is in the Philippines. So like what yeah, what was a, what was a, what was your kid culture like? You went to the arcades, you ate fast food, what I was like a like a smart ass. Yeah? I was like a I was like a smart kid. Aren't you a smart who, ass? Who was like <laughs> kind of, but like I'm I'm a smart ass that just like just an ass. You know, <laughs> um, yeah, into video games, like played heavy, like fighting games back in the day. Fighting games, okay. So with cousins, ate, ate good food. Like that was like my life, like as, as a kid. So let's talk. Okay, I guess let's talk about eating good food as a kid. Um, <laughs> if you don't already know, I mean, we do this in the intro. Yeah. Francis Maling is a. Uh, very professional chef um and we'll get into his resume and everything but um food is your life and we we when we talked earlier we had a long conversation about um well, i mean i guess just about food and you know we're gonna get more into it but so eating good food growing up right you i guess were you just like hovering in the kitchen all the time and you're just absorbing these techniques or did that that came later in life so it's crazy, like when you think of somebody who grows up with food, you're gonna imagine, you know, childhood growing up with like grandmother or like somebody in, in your family kind of teaching you like the ropes. It wasn't like that for me. I kind of just, I was around food. Yeah. I ate a lot. I was, I was a fat kid. Okay. Um, never learned the techniques and all that stuff until like later on, like professionally. 
Yo, we but, all, um, I think we were all second. Yeah. yeah. But that's what I'm saying. Like, you know, it was like food was just. Mm. So you didn't have a like, quality filter on your on the no, food you no. took in. So a lot not, of not at all. Like my my grandmother, my my Lola, like you know, so we call her. She cooked a lot because um, I grew up with my cousins like in this like big house in the Philippines. Uh, she, she had to cook for like everybody. Wow. So yeah, I I never helped chop onions or like you know, right. cut vegetables like for for helping like with family dinner. Like I never did any of that. <laughs> you, you never cared. I mean, yeah, my mom cooked all the time, and I didn't really yeah. know anything about it until I was in my yeah. college. But I think all that all that sort of changed when I got into the industry because now I get to understand where food is not just food. You know, it becomes a, a focal point in conversations, or you know, maybe in a celebration or yeah. get-togethers or you know, today, like, my friend is getting married, so just some sort of, like, blessing. Um, and I think for you to gauge food in that way, you're, uh, you know, you're learning more about yourself and you're learning more about life. So, you, growing up, you eat a lot of food, right? We all know you, so we know you know you have an appreciation for food. You come here at nine, right? You listen to this raunchy ass song on the way to your new life. Now you're a kid, nine years old. So I'm assuming you go right into like what, lower, like fourth grade or something, but kids. Yeah. So, so I, I mentioned I was like a smart kid. I was yeah. supposed to advance to the fifth grade because the, the curriculum in the Philippines is a little more advanced, like, you know, the Western yeah. culture. Um. I don't know, for some reason, I think I was just like, I'm going to stick to like my grade or something like that. I don't know why. Like, I don't know who made that decision for me. Like, I could have been like a different level right now or something. I don't know. You mean you, but, could, uh, like, uh, you could have graduated earlier? Like one year could have been a big difference like in my life. Right? Like, I could have been a fucking millionaire by now or something. Like one year. Like, one year? Like, I don't know, man. You could have burnt so out last, falling last, off, too. Last year, we weren't talking about COVID stuff. Like, you know, one year could change everything, so. This is true. Um, Where were you a year ago? A year ago, I got engaged in New Orleans. Yes. Wow. And, uh, we got engaged, uh, me and my fiance got engaged in New Orleans. And uh, New Orleans has great food. So that, that's a lot of story about that, too. Yeah, uh, yeah. New Orleans had great food, and New Orleans was actually like a place where we talked about going to for like a long time. We used to try like seafood and you know fried chicken, like southern food, and drinking. I guess. <laughs> Quite a yeah, food, yeah, yeah. Know. They don't have any open container laws. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. You know, living in New Orleans is different than visiting New Orleans. In that sense. No, yeah, for sure. Yeah, there's a. Uh, there's like a social discrepancy, like, you know, when it comes to that kind of uh, situation. And that, that also speaks into the type of food that people eat, too. Yeah, that's true. Learning about, like, you know, health and wealth and, you know, how much you pay for certain, you know, Popeye's meal compared to, like, you know, a sit-down meal, like, in New Orleans. You know, so. That's true, yeah. Because, I mean, yeah. I grew up around New Orleans. I grew up in Mississippi. And so there's I'm a lot sure. of visits and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, like... Um, 
I feel like the culture in New Orleans, like in terms of like the industriousness and whatever you have in New York, in New Orleans, it's a lot more react, relaxed. Right. You know, yeah. people are partying, people are eating good food, people take their time with meals. You know, there's like a whatever. Yeah, there's all the racism, but like there's like a the racism charm. is like side note, like asterisk. <laughs> good food, but we got it, racism. It is definitely there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Don't get it twisted. Mason Dixie line, right? Yeah. Way below it. Yeah. Um, oh, see, funny thing about that too, like even I, I grew up in the Philippines, like learning about you know Filipino culture, Filipino history. I sort of forgot everything, man. Like yeah, I got I, I got into U.S. history. Like I actually really love history, so I don't know for some reason like all this like knowledge of like Philippine history I kind of just like wiped out in my head I don't know if that's whitewashed like, yo yeah, yeah. <laughs> no no for real <laughs> but, no, but for real though like okay so yes you got into a bunch of US history I'm sure you're very probably yeah, yeah. a very studious kid right that interested you Bill of Rights man Jeez. how late on in life though did you think back and like yo the way I was presented all of this knowledge, this U.S. history or whatever, it's framed in such a way that it kind of like washes out other things yeah. that I knew, right? So it's like, yeah. did you ever have that switch? And when did you have that switch? I mean, I was a kid, so I just took it in. Like, yeah. you know, you're like a sponge. You take in all this stuff and you never kind of had time to to analyze it and you know come up with some sort of uh, perspective, right? But you know, like wash whitewashing, like taking out all the nutrients, you don't like even know the, about mineral, the minerals of like you know the the stories. Um, yeah, it's one sided, and it just I don't know. It never hit me like until like later on in life, and until you start, I think commingling and like meeting people with different cultures. And so kinda, how how you know, in yourself life? into it? Can you put an age on it? Maybe or high maybe... school. Maybe high school. Okay. So like yeah, high high school like I grew up, you know, in uh, in Queens like I said, you know, diverse population like you know in a proximity of like two blocks, I have like Spanish neighbors and like right. Bangladesh neighbors and like Nepalese neighbors and uh, mostly Filipinos too like you know in, in Woodside but severe cultural differences like if you lived elsewhere in like Jersey or like you know Mississippi. Yeah, no. Like Queens is the so. actual melting pot. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I, I think when you're forced—not forced, but you know—when you're able to, uh, you know, find yourself in, in this environment, either you become your your part of the environment, like you're part of that new community, that new diverse culture, or you shun yourself away from it and be like, "Yo, I'm gonna stick to my own people and just like do what I know." So. We talked um, on a previous episode, we kind of touched on this issue of like biculturalism. So like, you know, coming from the Philippines, growing up Filipino, even in America, in your household, right? And that culture being very strong, but then also, you know, going to school, having American friends and everything in that culture. So growing up with those two cultures, did they really ever clash? Were you hiding one from the other? Would you try to boast about one to the other or put down one to the other? 
You know what I mean? I, I mean, I'm saying this from experience with like Indian culture. Yeah. I always try to hedge the two against yeah. each other, and I never really understood why. I, I think I got a very general understanding of it too, like specifically when it comes to language, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, we were we were forced in the Philippines, like as part like forced. Like I keep saying forced. Maybe that's like a whitewashing term that's just like stuck in your head, right? Forced. Right. But we we were given the opportunity to learn English growing up in the Philippines. Um, but we were, uh, yeah, we were expected to speak English like fully, like you know, uh, throughout all our, our curriculum in um right. in um the Philippines. And I was able to communicate like as if I was born here. Like you know, once I got off in the, uh, the plane, I still had the accent though. Like I kind of had to hide that a little bit, and I I don't know how I just magically like lost it i could bring it out like every now and then like just for it came out with anger <laughs> just for like just for like heat check like you know yeah. i gotta I, I gotta put out yeah the accent but no not not when i'm angry okay i think i think um an example for like let's say like my mom right like when she would get mad at me she would talk to me more in english like yo it, like it hurts more a little bit i was like oh yeah it's not nice like <laughs> you know so your mom wouldn't talk to you though in English regularly, right? And you speak back in English though. So it's weird. We sort of started to talk in English a lot more. Okay. Like gro- growing up here, and I can't pinpoint exactly like the time frame, but we definitely transitioned from you know speaking full blown Tagalog into just like English now. Like even on the phone, even on the text now, like every now and then, like we'll have a conversation uh in full tagalog but i don't know if you have this like if you know this expression like nosebleed like if you speak to you know this expression all right so i think uh my uh lady kind of taught me this expression because like if you're in the philippines and you know you know you do know english in the philippines but if somebody's speaking to you like very like english proper like super succinct with like your movements and just like it's just hitting like the english words like the filipinos just get nosy because like they don't they can't like follow you right away you know what i'm saying it's like you're getting punched in the face like with all these like words that you're trying to translate in your head so you get this nosebleed because you're just not like oh i don't i don't get what you're saying so for me it's the reverse one where i'm like i'm trying to speak tagalog my natural language and then i end up kind of having like that buffer period where I'm like trans- translating my words into Tagalog and English. And I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to stick to English because I can't even talk to to you anymore. You know, I, I can't like get the, the translation right. You know, that may be an effect. Uh, so that's that's a cool thing to think about. I mean, not a cool thing to think about. But I think about that with the like Hindi, with my language. You know, I yeah. grew up with that. My parents, they speak that to me. I speak English back to them. But I feel like I've been doing that so long now that I don't really feel comfortable speaking Hindi and my accent is probably real bad. And like, even if we go to India, I'll just speak English to people because I know they know English and that's like in my wheelhouse. You know, I'm better at English and you are at English because you grew up in India. And so I'm just, and so it's like that kind of thing. Do you think that comes from 
Do you think that comes from like not wanting to show a vulnerability? Because I know it's not an issue of not wanting to learn. Because you, you know, you're a very curious person. You're you're a chef. You do R and D for dishes. I mean, you're you're very imaginative, and you have a willingness to learn. So, but that kind of thing specifically, right? Do you think that comes from a, a hiding of a vulnerability? Because I think that's what it is for me. Yeah, I think I think uh, at some point it it came, you know, like let's say like you know your your younger friends were kind of like making fun of you because you speak a little bit differently or mm-hmm. you know like I remember I, I remember I had to memorize my phone number and my address even though like my school was probably like five blocks away like we, I would still get driven right to school because like you know I don't know like New York, New York is that New York right. is dangerous right <laughs> even in Queens whatever but um I had to remember certain things in English like perfectly in in that kind of order even though i i knew english i just had to my number my house this is where i live like i have to say that and it's like why why do i feel like a robot right now like why do i have to say it in, in, in a certain way you know i i think maybe it's an expression that you have to be assimilating in a certain way for people to communicate with you or see you in a certain light yeah of fucked up when you think about it even like yeah. when you're younger like you know you 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 like have to adhere to that you know when i i think about that i think about the extension of that which is like why are we kind of programmed to where if we see somebody like a doctor or a scientist somebody very well established and they have an accent that's not an american accent and they're speaking english if it's not an American accent or a British accent, do we subconsciously lower them down a level? You know, or question, maybe scrutinize, maybe scrutinize the authenticity or the authority with which they speak, as opposed to extending the benefit of the doubt to someone who has an English accent or a British accent. And I wonder about that because it's like, yeah, I could theorize about it, but yeah, I know it's true. You know, um, I, I I took a I took a speech course. I remember in uh, in community college, and we were talking about like you know origins of like languages and just like certain sounds kind of like emit a certain I guess feeling. So maybe accents are thought about it in that way, and subconsciously, people just sound a little bit more authoritative or you know, yeah, more, more commanding in a, language. Is it an issue? of palatability or is it an issue of packaging right so is the american accent more palatable to us which is why we extend the extend the benefit of the doubt like i could literally say everything i say if i say it with an indian accent and it's not about math or science people will be like uh this guy doesn't know what he's talking about (laughs) yo what what's the uh the youtube channel of um khan academy yo yeah yeah yeah. You know, and I bet people watch that. It's like, oh, I expected this guy to have. I don't oh, actually. I've no, never watched man. any of it, and I assume he has an American accent because he's like. I know what he's talking about. Yeah. Wait, he has an American accent. I don't know. Actually, I've never seen it, but I'm assuming he does. I'm. I'm probably not going to listen to that dude if he has an American accent. <laughs> he has to have like a genuine Indian accent. Oh no! I thought he was so like. I, I thought he was like an Indian dude that grew up here. 
Like we, oh, uh, see, even, I think we're doing this bias thing that we're talking about. Even now, like we don't, we don't even know. We haven't even seen the video. No, but the association of mass and brown skin dude that's talking about math yo that'd be funny yeah, if it was on me. some like if it was on some like reverse appropriation shit and some white guy made all the courses and he's like i need a brown face to really sell this math stuff to really sell the legitimacy of this bad <laughs> why don't we do a computer course and you know what's weird and you know what's weird for you to think about that that means somebody already thought about it so, I mean, dude, look look at the Simpsons, man. Look at the whole Hank Azaria thing. Yo. You think, you think Hank Azaria is going to be on a spotlight for just Apu? Like, oh, no. Man. Yo. He kind of mold himself into, like, different stuff, but... But that dude, that he comedian... Gets, he gets flagged out. for, for uh, Apu, you know? Right, but that... So the comedian did that documentary, like, four or five yeah, years ago. I saw, I saw that, yeah. And he got so much white lash about it it's like well homer's a dumb character so they show a poo well so he's up to it's like but you don't understand that this is a white guy doing an indian voice that was created by a different white guy mocking indian people right <laughs> but um you know that's what that is which actually so now maybe a good point to get into this segment that we do on this show called Tokenize or fetishize. And so in this segment, um, maybe you've got like a personal anecdote, maybe from your kid, any memory you have that happened to maybe you or to maybe a, uh, someone you know, where they're in a situation and maybe they didn't recognize it immediately. But later on, you're like, yo, I was really tokenized in that or I was really fetishized for my culture. Or whatever. I was tokenized for my face or fetishized for my face. <laughs> you know, but um <laughs> so if you have if you have an example in your in your personal history, yeah. Also, if you can elaborate what may be the differences between the two as you see it. Tokenized yeah. tokenism so fetishism. I definitely I definitely was trying to like contemplate on that question for, for a little bit. Yeah. I don't know. I, I didn't have anything specific to be honest. Maybe I was just a little bit, um, you know, I didn't have that much hindsight on it back in the day. Because, I mean, like I mentioned, like, you know, I, I was a, in high school, I hung out with like different kinds of like folks, like different kinds of like people, different cultures. I didn't hang out with like, you know, the same sort of like, uh, I didn't hang out with like much Filipinos yeah. in, in high school. So I, I don't think I was ever, I guess, victimized or tokenized or fetishized in a certain way. I mean, not even in the industry itself, too, you know? Really? Like, yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe I just never, like, gave a shit about it enough. Or yeah. I never let it, like, I never let it create uh, drama or some sort of, like, just like a bad thing around me. I feel like yeah. there's there's more there's more to like you know to to like the workload and like more of like the personal stuff and just the the tokenized and fetishized thing, but maybe something else will come up like in the in the later time. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think I think a big thing is that like with 
first generation or immigrant generation. I mean, I don't know. The definition of first generation is loose. Either it's like you immigrated here and you grew up here or that you were born here and grew up here, but it's really the first generation that in this country of your family. So like, I think with a lot of us like first generation and stuff, you know, we call these things microaggressions where it's like, oh, you, you must... So it's like, tell me more about Filipino food. Tell me that this is like, like, oh, I'm just satisfying your curiosity or whatever. But we call them microaggressions, I feel, because we have to be conditioned to overlook them, not challenge them, because they're more trouble than they're worth, right? You make the aggressor more like defensive and it's just like i don't want to do that i need to navigate i need to move i'm trying to build francis i'm trying to you know right um so like do you feel like there's probably so i'm assuming there's probably like a lot of moments like so, that. Just like maybe like minor examples like i would say something like somebody would misspell filipino or you know just assume that certain things reflect within filipino culture is the same as like high culture okay we kind of have like this similar look for some reason i mean i get confused too like sometimes like they're just like wait are you tired are you filipino especially like now with like with the masks on like, <laughs> like this like are you tired like at the bank i think it was yesterday um it was, it was in woodside you know kind of like an eclectic mix of thai restaurants out there too so i wanted to get cash and the lady at the the counter I definitely think she was Thai because like she had the Thai accent and I was like oh I'm going to this Thai restaurant later oh she's like oh where are you going whatever I'm like oh, I'm going to this one right here but I need to get cash because they only do cash and then she's like wait are you Thai or are you Filipino I'm like can you can you guess <laughs> can I, can't you? Re- I can't really tell I'm like well we got to take off our mask now whatever <laughs> but you know maybe like little minor shit like that like a microaggression that you what are you really but where are you really from? Where am I really from, though? Yeah, like that I'm kind of thing. Like, I'm from over here. <laughs> no, no, no. But where, where, you, where are you really? <laughs> yeah, like what, what language do you really speak? <laughs> but uh, yeah, I um, Worse. like I think little things like that. Like you have to just like correct them, you know, in, in a certain way. Like people would spell Filipino with a like, PH. Yeah, like, that's dog. It's Filipino with an F. But then you wouldn't know it because, like, the Philippines is spelled with PH. Like, or somebody would be like, all right, well, you know what I mean. Like, I'm spelling it. But I think that that really does irk me a little bit. It's kind of like bringing up some stuff now. <laughs> you know, I don't even know. Like, I don't even know that that would be an aggression. So I'm learning now. I don't, yeah, I don't know why. So, I, I really don't know why. Because, like, maybe it's like a like a Catholic thing in me where like I have to capitalize the F and make sure like it's a proper noun, make sure it's spelled correctly. Cause like, no, I mean, nerd, things should like, be you know. correct, man. Like things, I mean, yeah. things should be right. Language is precision. Yeah. Right. Right. And it's, and it's what, you know, it's an identifier, right? Like mm-hmm. Language is like an identifier of, you know, sometimes, sometimes intelligence like you know people look down on certain like we were talking about like you know, authority earlier like people just look down on, on certain um mannerisms and like you know how, how you uh communicate so uh right like, there's a lot to be said for sure about the microaggressions like with that yeah like some of the okay so like going back to food right 
so some of these uh you know some of these dudes in like different countries uh you know philippines india whatever that are cooking on the roadside that have been doing for like generations you know things like that and they're like super fast and precise with everything like i'm assuming i'm just inferring because i don't know this world but i'm assuming that those guys could be right next to the best chefs in the world you know with how they do their thing because they're just so zoned in but maybe they can't communicate as well maybe they can't brand themselves as well right right? so it's like we're gonna look down on that and i know um i don't know if we touched on this conversation but the whole thought of you know there being street food peasant food versus really high-end food and like i know that um you know sometimes when i talk to like chef harold you know he'll break down the cost of all the food right and it's like oh yeah this was mad cheap but i upsell it because the presentation and like the history of it or you gotta you got a white tablecloth now that you gotta you gotta make it make it all fancy right so i feel like now let me know if this is a stretch i feel like you know we come here and i don't want to say like like white people or whatever but like you know, maybe it's American consumerism and our capital culture or whatever that promotes this thing where it's like, yeah, let's white tablecloth these different cultures, but let's go in and be the expert at it because I need to be the one that curates this culture that's not my own because you know what? I'm so interested in it. I need to be the one that brings Japanese culture to the world because I read manga when I was a kid and I watched all the animes and I learned yeah. Japanese, so I need to be the best, which actually brings us to our segment called Appropriation or Appreciation. And in this segment, Great segue. <laughs> in this segment, you, you like manifested destiny like into that fucking segue right there. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Yeah. But okay, in this segment called Appropriation or Appreciation, it's a new thing we're trying. We kind of touched on this before, right? There's um, previously in the food world, we had these older men, right, that go and explore other cultures, really the through like, uh, maybe they fetishize them or whatever, but but it's like an intense desire, maybe not necessarily to maliciously be the expert in the thing but they're just like i have to be the authority in this right so they take these different flavor profiles or whatever and maybe play with them introduce them here but they create a monopoly on how those flavor profiles are perceived right so it kind of extricates the ethnic authenticity of what they are Whereas this is packaged as like, oh, here's a taste of India. Here's a taste of. Right. So I like, okay, I, getting into flavor profiles, right? Can you, well, first of all, can you tell us what flavor profiles are? As you understand, from your professional expert. Simple flavor profile. Right. Um, let's, oh, let's, you, let's say like you're, you're just at some, I do this exercise like quite often, right? So like, I go to a supermarket, go to like, you know, these ethnic aisles, right? Like ethnic aisles 
and like the rice and beans bags or whatever. Like all these like different shelves like with like different products. Perfect segue later to like the food service part. But um the flavor profiles that you kind of bound yourself like into these like aisles, you know, they kinda of, like limit you in, into a certain way. But if you look at it in a different way, you're 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 learning more about like different things and you're learning more reflectively on like what this uh, relates like to your flavor profile. So like, let's say so I go to like a Polish aisle, and they have like some ham kind of situation. I can't even read it, but there's like a ham right. thing over there. Green points. You look at the ingredients. Yeah, right. Yeah, you you look at the ingredients. It's like, all right, there's like ham stuff in there. So all right, this must be ham. I I go into my culture. Oh, we have like this similar product. Maybe I can kind of utilize that to kind of bring that same sort of flavor profile, same sort of, like, I think, cultural identity, like, in what you're trying to do with the flavor profile. But, yeah, I think flavor profile just depends on, I think, one, what you're trying to bring, what you know now, in terms of, like, you know, modern taste or modern flavors into flavors that are reminiscent of what you had before or flavors that you want to create because you've learned as a chef, like you're a different person now and you want to share something completely different. Yeah. Your curiosity just like knows no bounds now. So like you're trying different flavors. And I think the last time we were talking about this was I was talking about uh, Renee uh, Redzepi. Yeah, I think so. Uh, I didn't know. This dude, dude goes to like, well, you know, Everybody knows him as like the best chef in the world, like in Copenhagen, right? Promoting, you know, um, what do you call it? Hyper localizing like uh, ingredients like into your own surroundings. Okay. But then this dude goes to fucking in the middle of Mexico, does the same thing, gets like Mexican ingredients, like does Mexican cooking techniques, essentially making Mexican food. Right. Charging eight hundred a pop for for a dinner, and is there like is there like a bonus for like the Mexican culture? Where's the benefit go to? Is it more on like his his profile? Like oh, damn, Noma's out in Mexico right now. You gotta get bonus. I mean, the bonus is he gets to open a bunch of new restaurants and then right. hire dishwashers that are right. Mexican and cooks that are Mexican that make all this. Right. So is that the, is that enough? <laughs> no. <laughs> is that enough to quantify like the appropriation? You know, is, is that enough to, to make sense of, all right. Yeah. You could take over for like a few months and then take all our culture, bring that same flavor back into Copenhagen or Tokyo. Right. Or Australia, like wherever you want to go. Maybe platform some of those like grandmothers that have been doing the cooking of this original yeah. food for but i i, I to, to their uh, to be fair though i think they did sort of a um put the mexican grandmothers like they said they, they were actually like having people learn the old way to like you know yeah uh, make masa so that's sort of like a good way to appropriate and like appreciate Right. Yeah. So, so there is that line, right? right. So, so I clearly, guess there, clearly there's a line. 
that defines like you know and so like how do you figure out how to navigate that line so like with this guy right going in going to mexico doing those learning those old techniques but just to do the pop-up whatever and charge a lot of money and come back um right not necessarily doing anything for the culture um but the appreciation factor comes in with the maybe not just the learning the old techniques but teaching the old techniques or making people aware of that kind of thing so it's like if that can outweigh the other thing the 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 material benefit you get from it so that it shows that like maybe your intentions with doing it were maybe a little bit altruistic but not so malicious but uh I mean, the way, the guy I had in mind, and we might have touched on this, and there was like a whole Netflix thing, uh, but like the top, this was kind of weird to me, the, like the top ramen guy in Japan, and I don't know if he's the top guy, but that's how it's packaged to me, yeah. the top ramen guy is this white dude from Long Island. Yeah, right. And so like... Um, New York tough, New York tough. New York time. Yeah, you can make it here. You can make it anywhere. But I guess he just didn't make it in New York, so he made it in Japan to make it in New York. Yeah. Or I don't know. I can't say that. I should say. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, but but um, so our producer, Fani, did a little research on him. And he like, uh, so here's, here's a little blurb I've got. Uh, Ivan, a white Jewish guy from Long Island who studies Japanese in college, moves to Japan after school. He falls in love with the culture and the food, specifically ramen, after trying it with the friend. After years pass and he's tried other jobs, has kids, loses a wife and remarries, he revisits Japan and takes on a project of opening a project of opening the best ramen shop in Japan. He starts small and masters the main ramen bowl and then opens another ramen shop in NYC. So the idea of being like, okay, I can just go into this country and then I can be the best at this thing that they have all this, you know, cultural gravitas around. And then open my shop back in New York, which is where I make all the money and get the world uh, credibility, you know? So the idea of doing that and the idea of being like, I need to open the best shop. Do you think that the effect of it has an underlying maliciousness? But the intention of it, is there an underlying maliciousness? You, you see what I'm saying? Like, right. where it's like, you know, I'm just going to take the culture for me. Because I, I love that I'm a consumer of this culture and I want to consume so much more that, you know what? I want to be a producer in this culture, not necessarily caring about the other people in the culture. Right. But, but, see, but see Ivan, Ivan Orkin. Right. He, he did the hard work too. Okay. You know, he he lived in the environment. He learned the language. Yeah. He fell in love with a you know a, a woman in, in Japan. He studied ramen making. He studied flavor profiles. He did his homework. So he did his homework. Clearly, clearly he still loves it. You know, he he's he's uh made made the uh travel back home, back to New York to open up a shop. I think a certain story requires a little bit of romancing to be able to credit it as appreciation. 
Okay. So without all this sort of hard work background, I mean, guy, it was like a Netflix special too, right? So yeah, like, of no, course, I... of course, you're gonna feel like, oh God, this guy is just like deserving of all. But he he did his thing. He 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 did the hard work. He created his own flavor profile, which is unique in Japan. You know, you go to Japan, certain regions, you know, certain places only have that certain flavor profile because people know what they like. And, you know, with a culture like Japan, it's very hard to change, like, little things in, in the culture because it's what's been done and what's been known for a long time. Right. So maybe the idea that this non-Japanese person is creating something in the very likeness of Japanese flavor profile, but he's putting his soul into it. Like, he's putting, like, chicken smoke in in the ramen which is traditionally a different flavor profile than the pork flavor like it's, it's chicken fat you know he's bringing a little bit of new york to to japan essentially right and, and his culture too chicken smalls like you know in the jewish culture like they they use that like to make um i think matzo ball soup or something like that but um yeah he married into a new type of cuisine which he claims his own with his knowledge but the stuff that he loved in, in that culture i don't know i don't think there's anything wrong from what he did but but maybe it's because the romanticized kind of story of it right and because then... well what if some some other guy did that like some uh, unknown like joe Schmo did that in, in japan i'm sure he wasn't the first one you know, I'm sure somebody else kind of tried. Maybe, what if it was some black dude, right? From, from Minnesota. Like, right. Like the, the prince. prince. Of, <laughs> you know, he goes to like Tokyo, like opens up his mom and stuff or whatever. Maybe it's not going to be received the same way. Maybe that's, that's something that we could kind of like, you know, that we can kind of look into. True. Maybe, maybe. And like, yeah, no, no, I'm also like also prompting a discussion here. You know, I'm not saying yeah. this is my, uh, you know, this is how I feel about Ivan specifically, but this, this trend, right, of appropriating versus appreciating. So like, maybe that's the line, right? Appreciating something is like learning the history and infusing your own. Appropriating is taking something as is whatever and making it your own. As opposed to infusing your own, is that right. you think that could be fair to? I mean, that's that's certainly fair. Uh, I I wanted to reference something. I think we talked about this like when we first met with like John George. So like, John George in the nineties, you know, cooking traditional like you know, French style. Yeah. Like, I think he traveled to to Thailand or like Vietnam somewhere in the southeast also and brought back all these like techniques and like all these ideas and then puts it all in the menu like little bits of like miso on his black cod like that became his, his signature thing or whatever um and it was i hope it's john george I, I hope i'm not like mixing up like another white dude but see if it, it, it probably was hey, they do it to you <laughs> 
Whatever, man. I'm not even like a three star Michelin chef. Like, I'm not even in that world. I don't know. I could care less. But, you know, it happened with uh, Wolfgang Puck, too. You know, like, he's doing like Asian food, like, in the 90s. Yeah, I remember the one. Yo, that's so weird. See, why are you getting mad? No, it's just like, it's just like, why did that hit me when I was a kid? He's been making his money since the 90s, but people weren't weren't really like questioning it because it's Wolfgang Puck Asian sauce. Wolfgang Puck isn't an Asian name. He's not even cooking it? Asian he's he does he doesn't speak the language. What I'm sure he doesn't speak the language. He could barely speak English. I don't believe know? it. So yeah, he could speak English, he'd know that his name is too strange. Yeah, but it's <laughs> it's literally like yeah, he, he took some of the flavor profiles that you know that he kinda liked. And fuse it in his own, you know. Hence the idea of like fusion cuisine, you know, right. like putting random ingredients into something to kind of mimic what I once experienced, like in how one, do you, one trip. How do you feel about fusion type or that genre of of food and stuff? Fusion, because it's like, is this appreciative of the cultures that it fuses, or is this uh, exploitative? Yeah, um, in in a lighter, light-hearted sense, in a way, if you if you use like Taco Bell and Pizza Hut, people wouldn't be too mad about it, right? No. It's, it's just like too dumb That's American concept. It's like, oh yeah, hell yeah, I want I want a stuffed crust with my uh, chalupa. Yeah. <laughs> Good, great, one-stop shop. Right. But um, yeah, if you if you go to like. A Thai restaurant, like a sushi place, like all in one. You're like, oh, this isn't authentic sushi, or this isn't like good Thai. Right, you think less of food, right? Yeah, I don't know. Like maybe it's the understanding of value, right? Like, do we just consider Japanese food into be like this upper echelon kind of cuisine that you have to like have like the best Japanese food, and then the middle ground is like Thai food, which is like everybody knows what Thai food is, so. We need to capitalize on both because, like, we got to please like all these consumers. That's true. So, you think there a hierarchy, perhaps, in how we perceive different? Um, I don't want to say ethnic food, but like, food no, that's I get, dude, the ethnic food. I don't even know what ethnic food is, man. Right, like, that, like I know my food is ethnic. What's food, American? <laughs> I know my food is ethnic food to like some Chad. Right out in like you know, Alberta, Canada, whatever. I mean, your food's but, your food's I think food to me. But then <laughs> it's my food, man. I I don't know. Like I, I never, I don't. I honestly don't know what that word means. Like ethnic food. Like who who is it? A foreigner like, to like you know. That word depends on having an absence, right? So it's like. So it's like, oh, that is in direct opposition to what we have as normal. So it's just like, it's like a way for me to codify what is abnormal. And so I'll just code it as ethnic, which even so, I fucking said it. Yeah. And I'm just like, yo. Yeah, right? Like, oh, call your yo. Street food, ethnic food. Look, look, look at your brown watch. Like, it's, check, check, the, check that skin real quick. But um, segue real quick into... Um, <laughs> So like my segue real quick into like my own um my own uh job. Right. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, 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 okay. Yeah. So, sorry. We, we, so, yeah. 
you grew uh, okay so coming up in queens right uh high school after high school you did you go to culinary school or anything how did you start the the uh the original plan was for me to head out to california actually so okay. i lived in uh i lived in reno nevada for like two years like after high school i figured that way i would kind of get into uh, san francisco kind of work my way into like the restaurants out there but i don't know man just like New York just like had a calling, like I had to go back at some point. So came back two years later. Um, okay. I started I started kind of building my resume so I could get ready for culinary school because I know that if I go into uh, CIA is like where I graduate. If I go to CIA without all these like college credits, I would have to like you know take all these um, college kind of credits along with like my culinary classes and i didn't want to do that because i was thinking about the money like the the money was expensive like you know for to pay for all these classes yeah so uh, you know i went to a community college kind of got my college credits going build up my resume and then actually college is where college is where i started kind of questioning the uh the identity as far as the like, culture um you know finding like the line between me being an immigrant as a Filipino and as a Filipino American, like growing up here. So I think college is like actually where it became uh, like a prominent kind of a kind of issue. And so then you, uh, how long did it take from after culinary school to get like a job at a, is like a, you know, start training Michelin wise or like at a super fancy restaurant or did you, yeah. did you do it with something else? Yeah. So part, so part of our program in uh, culinary school is you take an internship or an externship in the middle of it. So like at the end of your first year, you have to select a site where, you know, you work as an intern for like, I think four months. It's like a bunch of hours, like four months. And then, um, you know, kind of get your experience that way. And it's up to you to kind of make it happen. It's either going to be approved by the school, like, through, like, the, the the list of, like, you know, the people that they know, or if you specifically want to work at a place, like, in a country club somewhere for some reason, you have to do the paperwork and just kind of, you know, make it happen, you know, do your uh, research and have them fill out with the official stuff, whatever. But, I mean, I... I <laughs> I was supposed to actually do my internship in Chicago, but I, I stayed in New York too. Like, just, just they don't want to leave yet, I guess, you know? I mean, it's not like New York's a small place, man. Or, I mean, geographically maybe, but. It's you know. so small, but it's just like the, the energy here is like a little bit different. So, like, I stayed within the city to do my uh, externships. And I think I mentioned it to you before, <clears throat> I um, did my internship at North End Grill with uh, Chef Cardo's. Uh, rest in peace, rest in peace. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely, Damn. definitely wanted to, you know, get into that uh, New York kind of a uh, restaurant at during uh, school. Yeah. So after that internship, where did you go? After the internship, um, you know, you kind of finish up the uh, curriculum at school. I was undecided on where to land like a job right okay 
what I did, probably like the the most excruciating kind of process of like, you know, job hunting, I literally trailed at like 40 different restaurants in a span of like maybe 40 or like 50 days. So like 40 different restaurants. I'm talking about like all in New York, like shitty bar restaurants, a restaurant out in Bushwick at some point. I forgot why and I forgot where. Like all over, like I I took a into um I took a trail like a stage at a at a place in the Bronx I don't even know where but like I wanted to make sure that I I land at a good place after culinary school and it didn't matter to me if it was going to be at a Michelin star or like a family style restaurant or you know some some pasta making place so like I trailed at a pasta company as well. Um, what do you mean? What do you mean by trail? So trailing is essentially just you know trying out like uh, shadowing somebody for a day um, at a restaurant, and you know back then they didn't really like you know pay you for your trail. You kind of just like sit there. You know, probably don't know, but do they? <laughs> I think they have to do now. Actually, okay. like you have to like you know pay the girl. But um, that was like another thing. I I just wanted to experience like different outlets of like the restaurant not just like the Michelin stars so, like you know you could read up on that shit you could you know watch that on Netflix like oh like you gotta cut things in a certain way and like you know just do this for like eight months or whatever like pick parsley for eight months but you're, you're not really gonna learn anything and I think I knew enough about myself that what I wanted is not just the experience but I wanted to get along with the culture that I'm going to be working with. So like, like a family oriented and wow. a leadership kind of, kind of situation where I could learn, I could grow as a, as a, as a professional. And, um, yeah, I, I think in, in hindsight, it was good that I went into the industry a little bit later, like a little bit later, meaning I was like 24 after culinary school. Okay. So I, I had that sort of experience where, like nothing's, not everything's like bright-eyed. Like, oh, I want to go to John George because I heard he had like this amazing Asian dish that he had, you know, when he came from like China or. You've got more of your own mind, and you can. Yeah, it, yeah, and, and I think that's sort of like that's sort of like how I molded myself like different uh, in the industry, like. I'm a, I'm a big LeBron James fan. Mm-hmm. He uh he always advocates for you know being more than an athlete. I think I think I'm more than a cook. You know I'm I'm more than just um just a person like you know knowing how to like yeah. cook food or whatever. Like I need to be able to understand food. I need to be able to communicate with food, share share food, and you know create food. Create fun food, create experiences with food. Yeah, yeah. I mean that kind of yeah. like uh, so. I'm looking at our research. You know, five uh, flavors in flavor profiles. Five flavors work together to create balance, harmony in a dish: salty, sour, sweet, bitter, and umami. And um, so those five flavors, whatever building blocks, right? So I guess whatever the balance you achieve between those five is your personal narrative. Right. So it's like, this is what I'm trying to show, whether I'm infusing right. 
something with different culture. Like these are these are the building blocks, right? Different ingredients achieve these different things, and it's all about you practicing and playing. And um, you know, that's essentially your narrative is how you balance. So it's like, where is the line though? between you know being being a chef that um promotes a culture right like this is how these things are done this is how this food is made going back to the roots 400 years ago this was done this way right yeah promoting culture versus being the guys like you know i'm gonna throw this thing from this in here and this thing in here from here right and this is the francis uh flavor profile right so like that line of where people look at you as like, okay, this guy's the authority on Filipino food or versus this guy is the, you know, this guy is the dude with this wacky unique thing that maybe, you know, so it's like, at what point do you like, do you make a decision as a chef and to go to either of those realms? Like keep it, keep it to where, uh, you know, I'm just going to honor how all right. these, I'm an originalist right? versus a. So, you know, it's, you know, it's crazy. So even if you choose path A from path B, you're still wrong. Somebody. Because somebody's always going to say that, oh, I think this one would have been a better choice because this and that, whatever. And like, what do you do? The point is, like, you shouldn't give a shit. Like, you shouldn't care. Like, it's all about, like, knowing your value. So, I'm sure, like, you know, you researched this, like, you know, with my with my project. I call it um, Bad for Business Pop-Ups. I didn't want to do just, like, straight-up Filipino right. food pop-up. Some sort of, like, Filipino flag name or whatever. Right? So, and I, and I think it's because I know my identity. Like, it's more than just, like, you know, one sort of, like, way, way for me to look at it. But I named it Bad for Business Pop-Ups because, again, path A, path B, you're not going to satisfy anybody. Or you're not going to satisfy everybody. You might as well satisfy yourself, you know? In one way, path A, somebody looks at you and is like, oh, wow, this guy's, like, really knowing what he's doing. You know, it's like authentic, original, or super creative, super new. Path B is like, well, I've had better. I've, I've had this, and it's not really like, I went to Japan, that's a lot better, because he's in New York, and it's better in Japan, whatever. It doesn't make sense. Like, you, you can't satisfy everybody. Like, you're still, you're still trying to make your money somehow, right? Yeah. And it's like, you're bad for business for somebody in some capacity. So you might as well kind of do it on your own. And own it. Yeah, man. Do it up. Business pop-up. So, yeah. okay, I would, I just want to quickly, your company, Bad for Business Pop-Ups, obviously pop-ups. Now, that is a decision you made from, do, what was your last job before the business? So, I've, I've been doing the, the yeah. I, I've been... I think I've always had the entrepreneurial spirit, but I think it was 2016 where, you know, I, I was, I was sort of like leaving um, this fine dining kind of restaurant and I wanted to go back to school. 
and you know finish up with my my bachelor's in uh, hospitality management that I'm kind of still working on. Like, goddamn, I could just for so long. But I've I've done it as like a side project because you know I kind of wanted to put my footing in like in, in different things. So I was private chefing for a little bit after, um, and then the company kind of closed down because like they didn't get um they didn't get money to kind of uh go expand the company or whatever. And then I worked as like uh, uh in Greenpoint Fish and Lobster um for a little bit and then. During all that time, like I was kind of conceptualizing, like what I want to do for these pop-ups, is because, you know, when you when you sort of like having a job, right? Like you're cooking as a as a profession, and you don't have like total control in what you're doing. You're you just have a job. It's not it's not a career. It's not like a fulfilling kind of career where like your creative um, passions are not really like into play. Like you're making somebody else's food. You're making somebody else's money. Like, you know, you're really just like... You're chopping onions 10 hours a day. Yeah, yeah man. Yeah, you're just not doing anything for yourself. So I wanted to be creative and I wanted to do this as like part of like my my creative outlet. Like I can't write. Well, actually I could write, but I can't draw. And like I can't like, you know, do anything artistic. So this kind of a creative outlet is like my, is my, my but, art. But the art, <clears throat> the art is so, in the work. Right, your the art you... doesn't pay the bills. <laughs> the art doesn't pay the bills. <laughs> you don't have to tell me. <laughs> you don't have to tell me. <laughs> Fortunately, I so, am a photographer. <laughs> so after, um, hey man, your shots are beautiful. You you making me look good. <laughs> Cause you do look good, dog, um, and you you made me. Yeah, eat well. <laughs> yeah. The uh, the idea, like, yeah, art art doesn't really pay the bills. It's like you know, now you have to come up with a way to you know have a have a paycheck but yeah that's when i got into a food service you know i, I work in um so you were a uh, you yeah. are a is this you're a brand ambassador for this global we can't say it but a global food service company and we were kind of yes. alluding to it with the ethnic aisle right right ethnic aisle right, right. where you would find those products um right so being a brand ambassador with this global company, which is not an American company. So your work you do in America, in New York, and I'm sure also around the country, uh, chefing, you do that. And so you have to navigate this corporate culture and you know, I'm sure right. a lot of corporate events, but then you've got this other culture that is a more, it's a more conservative, um, right. foreign, foreign to American culture, but it's not foreign. Right. Nothing's really foreign. Yeah. So picking between the two, do, do you have to code switch kind of in like these corporate environments or do you just like, yeah. they're one Francis, you know, right. that I deal with all business people this way. Right. You definitely have to be, like that's where the, the professional, the professionalism kind of comes into play, right? Like you have right. to be cognizant about how you speak and how you communicate because you're talking to like a whole different audience now. But, you know, the underlying things that I found, like, you know, during the, the, the corporate stuff is, like, the ethnic thing that we mentioned. So, like, one of one of my jobs is to kind of figure out flavor profiles from, like, you know, different restaurants and all that stuff. And classification of such restaurants are, like, American versus, like, ethnic, which is, like, again, ridiculous. It's, like, you know, 
isn't American culture nowadays. Usually, like a mix of like different things. Mm-hmm. So you know, even with like a long-standing big-name company, there's still that sort of uh, innate understanding that there's a there's a category one versus like a category like two or something. Like category one is always going to be like the standard white palette American. I don't know. It's just weird. I'm like, why do we operate in this way? Even, you know, even in the corporate world. Yeah, I mean, I guess the corporate world, the decisions are driven by metrics and then the metrics come from, I guess, the way people operate. So I don't know if it's like a chicken and the egg thing. Yeah, I was I was going to say something earlier about uh, the Mexico, uh, Copenhagen, um, I know my thing. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, in in a way that Rene Redzepi was able to take that culture, appreciate it in a way. He's also published books about, you know, these certain techniques. So now it's like a written work that could be researched and studied and passed down. So I look at it in a way was, I look at it in this way where, what about those people who did not have that that pathway of publishing or R&Ding and having the uh, the spotlight on them, they wouldn't have that opportunity to kind of expose themselves or, you know, put, put their voices out there. And I think that's like where you can kind of, you know, say that that's like appropriation. Because, right. yeah, somebody was, I'm sure somebody a hundred years ago was exploring out in, in Copenhagen, like doing the same exact thing, but nobody was recording it. Nobody was like, right. you know, so I think it's a there's, yeah. no photogra- there's no photographer to kind of like you know highlight all these stuff and just like help this kind of a uh, thing happen. But I don't know. I think it's is it unfair though? A, Look, is it is it a technology kind of thing? Like limit limiting what we're capable I mean, of? Like, platform, platform, yeah. technology, privilege, benefit of the doubt, how you're viewed, right. you know, your right. confidence. All, but like I think it's right. an issue of. Um, a curator trying to be a creator like yeah no obviously he's a creator he creates and creates but if he is a curator of this culture for people researching these things and like putting them in if he's putting them in a book he's curating this knowledge but if he's presenting himself as a creator of this knowledge like i research this and this is how i do it which is the modern whatever way of doing it it's different right so he could be like yo well, you know, this grandmother does this technique and here's a photo of her in this book. And, you know, this is what she does. I learned this from her, right? It could be something like that, yeah. which I guess preserves that a- appreciation. But see, I yeah. don't know. Yeah, it's, it's a tricky line for sure. But I mean, who are we to kind of, uh, you know, dictate that though? Even, even for us to kind of like, we're trying to like, create our own values, uh, right. self-identifying, and, like, you know, really promote our culture out there. But aren't we initially doing the same exact thing, like criticizing all these, like, people who are potentially trying to, like, elevate our culture yeah. in general? Yeah, perhaps, because, you know, I guess you always look at the intentions with which uh, what people are doing. Are they trying to elevate or are they trying to exploit, right. you know? And yeah. do, you, do you know about this dude? Um, that is last name. 
uh, Andy Richter, I think. Andy Richter? Or no, uh, Zimmern? Uh, no. Well, we already know about him. Like, he's already like appropriating the fuck out of like tiny uh, chicken. <laughs> but um, he uh, you know, Pock Pock, like the Thai the Thai restaurant. So Pock Pock originated in like Oregon, like you know, super like re- regionally um eccentric uh, Thai cuisine. So like he would highlight you know certain regions and have like dishes from that certain region and that's like his theme of like the restaurant he did the same thing in new york like you know he opened up a, a spot in brooklyn which has been closed down for like two years now but he's a white guy white guy who just like traveled to like thailand just like fell in love but i don't know like he did the research again i i showed that his restaurant too like during a time where i graduated culinary school and he had people walking in the line like speaking Thai like for the order so like the names for the dishes were being called out in Thai so like for me like I I don't speak Thai like I order Thai food all the time but like you know I have like my pad chi ill and like all this shit that I already know but like now I'm making food in like you know Thai kind of like uh protocol now so I thought I thought it was cool like you know he's uh He's showing appreciation to like the culture in that way because he's operating in, in the language code. But okay, no, no, that's critics, fair. Some, yeah, to some critics who you know who don't know like the industry or he's never, <laughs> he like, never worked there. <laughs> I was yeah, about to be like, exactly. <laughs> Phil, right? Like he he still likes right because I'm like, is that minstrelsy? Isn't <laughs> like the the same thing with like the Simpsons? It's like let's put a white voice behind a brown face, or like you know. But I, I don't know. But but no, there's the appreciation there. Like, this is yeah, such yeah. a fucking tough. Yeah. So, like, what if what if I just, like, become famous for, like, burgers? You should. Like, a, Filipino, a Filipino guy who's, like, known for burgers. Actually, I'm saying that because there's already a Filipino guy who's actually very, very famous for his burgers. I'm not going to name his name. But <laughs> we'll look him up. I'll look him up. <laughs> yeah, you, you could research that. <laughs> yeah, oh, I'm not trying man. to trying to put my my name out there too much. That's that's bad <laughs> for business. So. But that's uh actually that's a good um. We have been going on real long, and I know we've taken a lot of your time. But this was such a good, like you really shed a light on a lot of things that I'm sure, you know, people are gonna love. I mean, I love it. I learned a lot. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's, there's there's a lot more to kind of like learn in between like the lines of you know people trying to question authenticity and intention mm-hmm. and, and if we don't have these types of conversations we won't really know we'll end up with like you know prejudices and just hate you know and that's what we don't need right now we don't need that miscommunication absolutely yeah and i mean this is the way to be seen as more than what you just do you know so it's like it's like oftentimes when you get in the professional world and you perform a function and you just do that function well and often people limit you you to that function and you know they tend to forget that there's a whole human and personality and ethnic background and history behind that function you know, so 
this is kind of the, that's why I think these conversations are very, very important yeah. because people that look yeah. like us, I, yeah. you know, don't necessarily get to talk about it. And you can look at our view. And I'm pretty sure, yeah, I'm pretty sure it, it's gonna come up, man. Don't worry. <laughs> but like the 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 cultural cognizance, man, like it, it just has to be more out there. And like I guess people shouldn't be too um, scared and like you know have have some sort of like rigid rigidity like in their yeah. in, in their identity be you man just like you know be you and make some good food if people don't like it whatever next like this is the next ticket line you know yeah. i will always like the food you make and you can send me all the leftover food <laughs> i will eat it all yeah <laughs> yeah c- come come to my next pop-up where i'm appropriating a culture <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. let's uh before we close out yeah let's let's plug that because i think uh, uh we're gonna release this episode on oh, wednesday oh, sweet. which is the 21st so you can uh and your pop-up is on the 24th yeah uh, right on on saturday saturday yeah, so, so pre-orders yeah. um you can slide in my dms if you really want to for pre-orders okay but you, you, you can come in to the actual uh, space itself. Um, yeah, it's like we're in the height of October for Filipino American History Month. So I am kind of uh, putting my culture out there, but obviously trying to find more creative ways to, to do it by appropriating another culture. Ah! You're appreciating the other culture. And I'm you're extending that appreciation to all the people that eat and enjoy the food. I'm appreciating because I've actually been to Portland, uh, Portland, to <laughs> Portugal. Ah, I've been to Portuguese food because I've been to Portland. Yo, that, is that not the most white girl thing I've ever heard? <laughs> yeah. yeah, my white girl rosé. No, but <laughs> I, had a, I had a magical six-hour layover at Lisbon. So now I can do Portuguese food. Yeah, I ate everything in the airport, even though it was burgers. <laughs> nah, dude, the airport. You can you can put your bags in the in the airport and like take a Uber to like the nearest town to get like the best pastiche in your life. And the seafood. Seafood was amazing though. Damn. Okay. Yo, I cannot wait to leave. Till international yeah. travel is opened up again. I want to yeah. be places. <laughs> I think I think when you travel, you start appreciating more, and then when you start jacking these stuff like without that rom- romanticizing it, then that's that's the uh, appropriation part. There you go. There it is. Boom. We did it. Oh damn! I just showed my pit stain. Yeah, we did it. <laughs> All good, man. That's that's a that's from the Khan Academy. That's how you know we're working hard. <laughs> yeah, working hard, man. We're working on the statistics of math. The thank thank you, uh, Khan Academy. Shout out to Khan Academy. <laughs> Hire me, please. Both of us. <laughs> we know you got money. <laughs> I need a job. Oh, man. Mr. Khan, please. Mr. Khan, I'm not going to say anything about your accent. Dude, what if he doesn't have an accent? We have to find out. Yo, I got yeah. I'm I'm probably not gonna watch one of those videos today because I'm gonna do it. But I will definitely at some point in this week. Uh... <laughs> Dude, if he has like, 
if she has like I don't know, what would be like a weird accent? See, this is the thing. We could make fun of like the funny stuff of like the language. No, too. what if he's got like a Minnesota accent? That'd be hilarious. He's actually Prince. Prince is alive. He's teaching math on 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 YouTube. I didn't even realize that that was a callback. <laughs> Prince died on four twenty. <laughs> Is that a prime number, though? <laughs> no, it can't be. <laughs> I don't know, oh, that's so funny. All right. Well, this is a great episode. Um, we really appreciate you being here with us. Yeah, um, Francis Smalling. You, you can uh, yes. find him at uh, Bad Business Pop-Ups, is his company. You can look it up on social media. Can I give your social media handle? You personally? Yeah, it's, uh, it's not creative. It's Instagram France. F R A N S, right? F R A N S. Yeah, Instagram. And then you can find me at uh, yep. And then you can find me at a uh, bad for business pop up for uh, more food. Yeah, and hit way. him up and pre-order the stuff for Saturday or show up on Saturday. And I mean, there's more info on your social media. Um, yes, yes. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for all the uh, the good times, man. Yeah, this I look is forward great. to more, more content. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely.